Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey everybody, welcome to this week's podcast. So the Zip hoodies are finally back in stock. Sorry to open with shameless self-promotion here, but a whole bunch of you awesome people had asked me for Zip hoodies instead of the pullover ones, so I added those to the store last winter, and the black ones had been out of stock in most colors ever since, and they just got back in stock. I bought one to make sure it's good, because I always buy these first. I want to make sure that they're actually good quality before I suggest them to anybody else, but it came in. It was just as good quality as the navy blue one. Uh, The logo looks pretty cool. It's got, you know... Retro RGB logo on the back. So, I don't know. If anybody was waiting for one of these, perfect for springtime. Because I don't know where you all live, but where I moved to, it is so cold in here. So, I like the pullover hoodies when it gets really cold. And a blanket too sometimes. But it's a perfect time of year for this. So, if it starts to get a little hot, you know, temperature adjust right here. But anyway, let's jump in and see what's going on this week. I just wanted to let everybody know that these are finally back in stock months later. First up, a new contributor, Andrew, just posted a guide about the PlayStation 3D display. And this is something that not many people might have remembered or known about that I always thought was very cool, and I definitely wanted to talk a moment about it here. Now, definitely check out Andrew's guide if you want all of the details. I'm just going to kind of give a basic overview. But back when 3D movies and 3D home TVs were kind of becoming a thing that unfortunately fizzled out due to lack of good content, I think at least. Um, But back when that was becoming a thing, Sony released their own TV. And it had a couple of different purposes to it. The first is to obviously display Sony PlayStation 3's 3D-capable games. So you put on some glasses, it does the stereo separation, and you get some very good depth. Because please remember that the, the real use for 3D to make it seem like it's really worthwhile isn't stupid stuff jumping off the screen at you, which, you know, sometimes I guess is neat, but it's the depth that it provides. So a really great game or movie won't have stuff jump out at you that often, but it'll seem like you're looking through the TV or that your TV is four feet deep with, you know, in a giant cube or something like that. And that I think a lot of movies, but especially a lot of PlayStation 3 games really pulled off. I remember when my cousin first got his 3D TV, we played Gran Turismo, I believe, and we, you know, we turned the 3D effect up all the way. We had our glasses on and we were playing it for, you know, a good half hour or so. And we kind of both went, all right, this is really neat, but I'm not sure if it's that much better than 2D. Took our glasses off, set it to 2D mode, and about 30 seconds went by and we we're both like, this sucks. Let's go back to 3D mode. <laughs> so it's one of those things you really got to try and you got to try it on a decent display. And this aims to be one of those. The other feature that I don't know a single person that has ever used it other than maybe to test is that this display had the ability to have two different things on screen. So if one person was on one side of the couch wanting to watch a movie and the other person was on the other side of the couch wanting to play a game, both inputs would be active, but the active shutter glasses would turn off 
every other frame so that each person could be watching this different things on the same TV. If you've ever used that feature, not just to test, but actually implemented it in the way you used these things, please tell me in the comments because I've never heard of anybody using that, but still a neat thing. Uh, but also it's really just any good 3D TV, you could still experience this. So 3D projectors are excellent, but I think it's really all in the preference. I won't go on too much of a rant because Cousin Scott and I got to do a podcast about this. But I think for gaming, if you had this display or a good 3D plasma display and you plugged in a PlayStation 3, you could really see the different games and, and how... Some of them really used the 3D effect to add to the games. Uh, I think I vaguely remember maybe Mortal Kombat having it, but definitely Sonic, and that was surprising. And there was just a whole bunch of other games that I was very impressed with. And of course, you know, a few other gimmicks that they probably shouldn't have ever tried to do in 3D, but whatever. Either way, it's really cool to see that this stuff is still getting some love. And if you want some more info on this, as well as some of the details, buying guides, you know, and all the things that you might need to know, check out this post. Uh, but also, you know, don't just write off 3D. It's really easy to hear a couple people complain about it and have it turn into a joke, like the virtual boy or something. You know, everybody always has something bad to say about it, but most of the people that do have never actually used one. And I think it's, pretty much the same with 3D. It's one of those technologies where if you use it in the right environment, you know, the right game or movie, the right display, the right room, then, you know, you can't be in the super brightly lit room for this, then I think you'd really appreciate it. Whereas if not, then yeah, if you were in a brightly lit room with some cheap bargain basement, $99 LCD TV that barely worked, it's going to stink, you know? So uh, please check out the guide if you're into it. But I definitely wanted to take a moment to talk about it because I was really impressed with a lot of the 3D content that I saw. Uh, and I was very sad to see that go away. This week's podcast is once again brought to you by JLC PCB, my favorite place to go for all the hardware projects I'm involved in. Boards up to two layers are usually ready to ship within a day or two, and boards up to six layers ship within a week all for the same starting price of $2 for five pieces. They also offer stencils for people assembling their own components with a reflow oven, as well as even offer full assembly options for SMD and through-hole components, if you'd like them to make the whole thing. Getting started is as easy as adding a Gerber file right to their website, selecting your options, color, and how many you'd like made. You can even add a stencil right from here to make it easier. If you're in a rush, you can get your orders extremely fast via DHL shipping. It's not cheap, but you'll be impressed how fast your order arrives. If you're on a budget or just not in a rush, they have shipping options starting at under $5. If you'd like more info on JLC PCB, keep checking out these ads as the weeks go by, as I'll soon post more walkthroughs on how to use all the features they offer. Jimmy Hoppe just posted an interview with the main artist from the Far East of Eden series that was never released out of Japan, and it was just a really positive and cool interview to watch. Uh, Jimmy's always just, you know, such a likable guy, so whatever he's involved in always usually puts a smile on my face, but so is the artist himself. Um, I do a terrible job pronouncing names, but Mr. Yoshitiru Sujino, and uh, I believe his nickname was Torajiru, and he's just another person where I could probably listen to an interview with him all day long. It's subtitled, of course, so I'm listening and reading, but I really enjoyed it. And even though I'd never really played the series and RPGs aren't my favorite style of games anyway, the behind the scenes look and, and really hearing the conversation 
it was a worthwhile watch for anybody who's just even the slightest bit interested in behind the scenes stuff, especially cool and rare RPGs from Japan that were never officially released in the US. Uh, so if anybody's interested in this, definitely check out Jimmy's post just to kind of get an idea of, you know, of what it is that, that he was doing and, and why he wanted to do the interview. But I would recommend the interview as well. I thought that was really cool and I really enjoyed watching it. So, uh, you know, no spoilers, I guess. I'll leave that up to, to you if you want to watch the interview. But thanks to Jimmy for doing that because that couldn't have been an easy thing to put together. Uh, so I'm just, you know, I'm really thankful that he took the time to do it. Castlemania Games is now selling a memory card for the GameCube starting at $15 that allows you to boot into Swiss if you have one of the games that's compatible with the exploits. Now, hold off on the actuallys in the comments for a moment here, and please allow me a moment to explain what this is and why anybody would even care about this. I'll back up for a moment and say that if you already have an action replay and an SD card reader, this is essentially the same thing, and what you have is totally great solution. In fact, if you could even hunt down a compatible action replay disc only and any kind of SD reader, then you would also be able to have something similar to this. But the problem is that NTSC versions of those action replay and, you know, the full SD kits are completely out of stock and they're not going to be made anymore. And the PAL ones are almost out of stock as well. And when they are, they're no longer going to be made. So while right now this might not seem like it's super important, it will be soon. So this allows you to take games, and at the moment, this particular memory card would allow you to take Wind Waker, Twilight Princess, or Paper Mario, and if you already own those games, now you could just pick up a cheap $15 memory card, or more if you want a bigger memory card, and then grab some kind of SD reader. I definitely recommend the SD to SP2, because that can go right in the bottom of the GameCube, so you could free up both your memory card slots, and that's pretty much it. Uh, the Zelda games, as long as the memory card is inserted, all you have to do is hit start at the title screen and you'll boot directly into Swiss. For Paper Mario, you have to just go and, and select one of the save games and then it'll do the same thing. And also, if you load the latest version of Swiss on wherever the SD card is, the memory card will sense that and auto boot into that essentially future-proofing this because the Swiss team is always coming up with crazy stuff that most of us didn't think was even possible. So if you buy this now and six months from now, there's a much better and updated version of Switch. Or Swiss, don't worry about it. You just load it up on the card and that's it. So the way this card works is it, it uses an exploit that was found in those games. And while I think there's other games that could be exploited like that, uh, it's this one specifically designed for that, and it's just designed to make things easier for you. So to circle back around, if you already have an action replay solution, just keep it. This one is totally, you know, what you have is totally fine. This wouldn't really offer anything over that. And if you don't have any of these solutions, decide which one you want to buy, because some of the action replay ones are more expensive than these games, and these games are getting pretty expensive. But if you don't have a way to boot Homebrew on your GameCube, and you do already own one of those three discs, uh, either NTSC or PAL, I don't think the Japanese version is available yet, but if you already own the games definitely pick up one of these because it's one of those things where it is a memory card so you could just use it like a normal memory card uh, but 
the ability to boot homebrew on a completely unmodded console that doesn't change the console at all is a really important thing to me because not only does it allow you to keep your, your console completely stock, but you could use it on multiple consoles just by bringing the game and the SD reader everywhere. And stuff like that has been a massive help for me in my testing for different GameCubes over the years. So you know, a lot of people, when I tweeted about it, didn't quite understand why this was important, and that's absolutely not their fault. If they had just bought an action replay, disc last year or something like that it would seem like that's the better solution but with those going completely out of stock never to be made again this becomes pretty important so if you have a gamecube and one of those games just consider picking one of these up uh, i think that would be a pretty good thing for homebrew and uh, you know any other questions definitely check out the post um Whenever the big end's involved, I'm always a little bit intentionally vague about who's involved. So let's just say there's some awesome members of the retro gaming scene that came together to make this happen. But I think this is one of those rare moments where I'll just leave it at that just in case. You never know who they're going to sue next for showing a picture of Wind Waker. If you were one of the people that upgraded your open source scan converter to the firmware that allowed for profile exporting and you were having problems, there is a new firmware update for it that should fix any issues people were having. So basically, Marcus added a firmware update that allowed you to export any profiles that were on your OSSC, which is helpful for people that create them with the remote. And it's even helpful for people that go through and set phase for all their consoles. And now they have a backup that they could have in case they switch OSSCs or whatever else. They don't even have to mess with it anymore. They could just import that backed up profile and be done with it. But unfortunately, some people, and I think it was more specifically Windows users, were having issues. So this is just a firmware fix for that. So if you don't use the profile export feature, I wouldn't bother. I would just kind of stick with whatever's been working for you. But if you have been using it, I would definitely upgrade to this one. If you're looking to do an internal HDMI mod to your GameCube, Blue Shell 3D is now selling a backplate that has a mini HDMI port pre-cut right into it. So anybody that's followed the channel for a long enough time knows that I am a big supporter of no-cut mods, because once you cut the plastic on a console, there's no going back. And inevitably, Almost every single mod I've ever seen that is perfect in the moment is eventually superseded by a better one. And if you've cut your plastic and the next mod around doesn't fit that exact mounting location and size, your console starts to look like Swiss cheese pretty quickly. And while yes, there were millions of them made, they're no longer made and that amount floating around is only getting smaller as years go by. So I always really appreciate to see stuff like this just so we don't have to cut our consoles. If you choose to do an internal mod rather than a plug and play for whatever reason that you might choose to do so, now you could have it supported, nicely cut, and you could take your original backplate and save it for when the 8k version comes out uh, i don't know I'm, I'm making that last part up but uh, so thanks to blue shell 3d for doing this i'm not sure if there's any others out there uh, i always feel bad when i talk about a new product and you know didn't realize there was other stuff from other creators out there so i'll just say thank you to anybody who's made one of these and made them available for a reasonable price because that way we don't have to hack up our consoles when we're doing mods to them this next one was a bit confusing to me at first, so I want to make sure I go step by step and get it right. Please correct me if I've missed anything here, but it looks like there's a collection of Wonder Boy games up for pre-order that do not include any of the new remakes at all. 
So just immediately right off the bat, this threw me for a loop because the graphics that are on the cover of the game kind of make it seem like you're getting a collection of the new modern remakes and maybe some old ones, but that's not it at all. Apparently, pre-orders are open for two editions, each on the Switch and PS4, and the standard edition has four different games on it, and then the collector's edition has a whole bunch of games that were all released on original Sega platforms, but none of the modern remakes. So while they claim to add things like scanline filters and all that stuff, at the end of the day, this is basically just an emulation compilation slapped on a disc, which, you know, I say that with both love and disdain, because I... I've bought Sonic the Hedgehog more times than I care to admit, but I've also seen some pretty terrible collections thrown together with an insane amount of lag uh, and, you know, bragging about the artwork and extras that came with it, which it's like, you know, it's just my opinion. You all might think I'm a complete ass for thinking this, and that's totally fine, but uh, far be it for me to think that if you buy a game, the focus should be the game and not a lot of the other stuff. So... I don't know if that's the case in this one. Maybe in games bent over backwards to get you the best emulation experience possible. Um, I really don't know. I was just immediately turned off by the fact that I took one look at the cover and went, oh, I loved the new remakes. A couple of them were, you know, had their quirks that kind of drove me a little crazy, but I kept going back to them and I wanted to keep going back to them, which is the key, right? You know, if a game's too easy, you blow through it and you kind of don't even remember it. And if it's too hard, you just give up. But if it's that right amount of challenging that makes you want to keep trying until you beat it, that's kind of the sweet spot. And those, the new remakes I thought were amazing, and I thought that's what this was. So please, feel free to tear me apart in the comments if I've got any of this wrong. Is this a terrible take, and I'm just looking at this from a wrong perspective? Did I just get the facts wrong? I read through uh, Kevin's post here, and I, I think I got the facts right, but who knows? Maybe my frustration for wanting the Wonder Boy collection to be the modern remakes and not just a wrapping of a bunch of the old ones, maybe that clouded my judgment this time. But as always, I'm I am always reading and listening to your opinions. That doesn't necessarily mean I will immediately change my opinion to yours, but anything that's written in a mildly polite manner, I will always take to heart and try to learn from it. But for me personally, for this one, I just kind of don't really have any interest in it. It doesn't seem to offer anything other than a whole bunch of ROMs on a disc. Uh, and I especially wish it would have included or highlighted some of the newer games as well, or at the very least, make the cover represent what it is that you're buying, not what you probably wished you were buying. So feel free to tear me apart if you think I'm wrong about this one. But either way, if you want more details on what this is, check out Kevin's post. Miss Mad Lemon just released a brand new album that was composed completely on a Commodore Amiga and one track on the Polyend Tracker. And when I first saw the release of this, I had started to watch the video that's embedded here in the post that's the recording process and how she made it. But the samples that I was hearing were really catchy and I wanted to listen to it with fresh ears. So I paused the making of and I just bought the album because I knew I was going to like it just, you know, at the very least, I was going to like the two songs that I started to hear in the making of video. And I got a couple songs in and I liked it so much that I hit pause and I started writing down my thoughts on each song as they were playing, which is weird because I don't normally do music reviews and I am a strong believer that music is subjective. So not only can some 
person love a song that another person hates, but you and I could love the same song for completely different reasons. And I don't want my stupid thoughts skewing yours. But, you know, what the heck? This is my blog post. I wanted to put my thoughts in it, so why not? So I, I wrote down everything. I uh, re-listened to the album again on shuffle just to make sure, you know, the order of tracks didn't really have an effect on anything. And uh, over the next couple of days, I ended up listening to it like at least four or five times in its entirety. So I just absolutely loved it. And in fact, I went back after I was done listening a couple of times and finished watching the record or the making of video because I just, I wanted to see now that I liked the tracks and I knew which one was which and I knew what parts were from which, it was really cool to watch the recording process as well. So if you're into this stuff, at all. And, and heck, even if you're not into chiptunes, if you're just into music, I would strongly recommend going to the Bandcamp page and playing the songs right through your browser to see if you like them. Please do something like wear headphones, or for me, I was able to listen on my studio monitors that I recently unpacked and was very excited about. Uh, you know, don't just put your phone on a table and listen to it that way. This the album deserves a bit more than that, respectfully. I know that's a lot of people listen these days, but and just give it a chance. And if you like it, consider buying it. Because as a musician or a wannabe musician, whatever you want to call me, it is very frustrating to see that so many people just think music's free. And it just absolutely isn't. It's certainly not free to create. Although, yes, it is easier than ever to create music. Unless you go crazy like Miss Mad Lemon and do it on a Commodore Amiga. But it's still something that costs money and, and is a lot of time. So if you're a fan of it, consider buying it from Bandcamp. Um, and either way, you know, I would check out the recording process. Uh, if you want to support Miss Mad Lemon, you could do so on Patreon or just follow on YouTube. And maybe after you listen to it yourself, check out my review of each and, uh, and see if we have the same thoughts on some of this stuff or if I'm just absolutely crazy and, and interpret music differently. I don't know. But uh, I put it there anyway because I wanted to. But maybe don't let my stupid thoughts skew how you listen to this music. I would just strongly recommend giving it a try and you know especially like music fans but people who like that chiptune video game style music i mean this is like one of those things that i think it covers a lot of genres for people and i think most of you would at least want to click a track and see what it's like for free on bandcamp I recently posted an interview with Ryan from Castlemania Games, where we go over the origin of the company, a lot of the projects that we'd worked on together, and basically just kind of hang out and talk. Um, and when we got to the end of that, I realized that since a lot of my stuff has been picking up sponsors lately, I didn't want people to think that this was a sponsored thing and that Ryan like paid me to talk about his business or, or something like that. So I added a little disclaimer to the beginning, uh, and it was kind of funny just to realize that. But nope, this was not sponsored, although Riverside did technically sponsor that one, but Ryan had nothing to do with it. There's no affiliate links in the description other than the Riverside one. Uh, so, I, you know, I just wanted to be honest with everybody about that, but I thought it was a pretty interesting conversation. We got some good feedback from it, so hopefully people kind of appreciated the behind-the-scenes look. Um, also, I did not delete or a single comment in there. Most people were actually really nice, but um, there were a bunch of conversations that I just didn't want it to seem like, even if there were a few people that probably went a little too far, but I didn't want to seem like I was in cahoots with Ryan or anything like that. So I left them all up. I normally don't do that. I do normally delete trolley comments or if people start going too far, you know, they, they get the ban hammer, but I did not want it to come across badly this time. And I do just want to mention that separate from this video, like all across YouTube, I've heard a lot of people talk about their comments disappearing. 
And while, yes, I delete comments and ban people, because if I'm being forced by YouTube to moderate this stuff, then I don't want to have to put up with people trolling me every single day, or more importantly, trolling other people. And if you don't like that, it's too bad. Uh, if I'm stuck doing it, then I'm stuck doing it my way. But the people who are telling me their comments were disappearing are people that I've gotten to know that do not troll at all. And while there's always the possibility I delete something by accident or I ban somebody by accident, which happens way more often on Twitter because the, the ban thing is, or the block button's right next to the mute button or something, but it's possible. But there's no way I've done it as many times as it's been happening. And I've seen my own comments disappear as well. Granted, some of them had swears in them, which, you know, mostly they're happy swears, but you know, that's annoying, but at least makes sense. But the people who are getting their comments deleted by YouTube are talking about happy, positive things, or even just neutral things, but no swearing, you know, no terms that can be misinterpreted as being negative, and the comments are just disappearing, and it's happening to me too. So I just wanted you to know that if you're somebody who does anything other than troll and act like a giant piece of shit, your comments are not getting intentionally deleted. Um, and, and there's just nothing I could do about that. And it kind of drives me nuts because if you're somebody who takes the time to have a polite conversation, or, or even if you completely disagree with me and think of a moron, if you take the time to articulate that in a non-douchey way, uh, it sucks that that would be deleted. Your thoughts have a, you know, at least in my opinion, your thoughts have a right to be there. And I, I hate to see that happen. So uh, if anybody knows it, why this is happening or if there's something I could check or uncheck to fix this, please let me know. But uh, it's it's not intentional at all. Um, mostly, you know, there are a few ones that were intentional, but w whatever, too bad. <laughs> Now it's time for the weekly Mr. Updates, Care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm going to skim through these, but please check out Lou's post and Lou's video and subscribe to him as well if you want all of the details on this. I just want to keep people in the loop and make sure everybody gets the info on the stuff that they're paying the most attention to. But first up, snack support has started for the PlayStation Core, which is awesome because that means you'll be able to use original PlayStation light guns. Uh, and, you know, if you're one of those people that just wants the direct connection, even though stuff like the MacGyver adapters are one milliseconds a lag, just having that peace of mind, knowing that it's as fast as possible, that's also a good thing to have. Um, you know, on a side note, completely unrelated to Lou's post here, there were some companies that were supposed to release some newer snack adapters last year, and I don't know if it was the part shortage or supply chain or something else, but I do want to see more snack stuff out there, because while the stuff out there now works great, I just can't stand the multiple adapter thing, which that's preference, right? There's nothing right or wrong about that. They're great solutions, but my preference, my stupid opinion is that there's no reason why it shouldn't be one single pigtail dongle for each console or for each console's controller adapter going into the user IO port. I don't like all of these different solutions. I think it's clunky and I think it's confusing and I, I wish people would, would step up the game and get the other ones out. There's at least two people I know that were supposed to have had those out. I don't know what the heck happened. So hopefully by the time the PlayStation core is released, you'll be able to get, you know, whatever solutions best for you. If you already have a central snack adapter and a bunch of controller adapters cool if you don't have any of that stuff you could just buy the one thing you need and not have to worry about a bunch of different confusing configurations so fingers crossed that that happens i know we're in a global part shortage so i'm sure that's got most to do with it but come on awesome mr sellers step up your game here we have some very cool solutions for snack 
Uh, and I'd love to see it all integrated on one happy little board with a pigtail and a case. Don't forget the case, because those bare solutions are, are nerve-wracking for people, even nerds, right? Like, I know that if I put a piece of cardboard under it, that it's fine. But what if something happens and it slides off and, you know, hits the metal case or something like that? So let's get some good solutions out there. But back to loose post. Rant ended. I'm sorry. <laughs> um there's also uh, work started on a Toa Plan beta core, and that's an arcade platform that has games like Zero Wing, Outzone, Hellfire, Truxton, a bunch of really, really cool shooters. So I am very excited for that myself. I love those style of games, uh, and I'm working on an arcade machine with a, a vertically oriented monitor just to be able to play those more often. So that's really great. Um, there is a beta driver being worked on for the GunCon 3. And this is kind of a unique scenario because the GunCon 3 doesn't require a CRT. It's got sensors that you put on the monitor and it can be used by pretty much anything, but they're really expensive. Right before I shot this, I looked it up and they were going 150 bucks for one on eBay. And at that point, I would rather support a new retro project like the Sins and Light Gun or something like that. So uh, by by no means am I putting down anybody working on the project. I, I think that it's awesome. I want to see more of this stuff. And I think if you already own a GunCon 3, that you're going to be thrilled. So please don't interpret that as anything negative. I just, um, I just wanted to warn everybody that if you see this post, you're not going to probably run out and get something with a sensor bar and just be able to start playing shooter games. It's going to be a little more expensive and you might want to look into other options like the GunCon 2 support for CRTs and all the other stuff going on. Um, there's also alternate Linux distributions available for the Mr. Project, but in my opinion, I think this one is a dev-only type of thing. Or if you're a Linux expert and you want to mess around, by all means, but I don't think this is really focused on the general users. I think this is for developers and people that really understand what you could do with the Linux Arch-based distro that you could load onto the DE10. Um, I know a few of my friends have looked into things like, what if we do a Linux build of MAME on Mr., which is theoretically possible, but it would run about as fast as a Raspberry Pi 1. So if you're one of those people that's just a, wiz a wizard at Linux and knows how to tie these things together, maybe give it a shot for proof of concept, and maybe you could get some cool, like, early 80s games working. But I do think we should all have realistic expectations. Like, no one's loading up, like, a, you know, you're not putting the Dreamcast emulator on a on the Mr.'s Linux side of things. Um, but if you're a dev, I bet you there's a bunch of really cool stuff that you could do with that that you could kind of figure out other ways to approach it um other than that, there's just some more updates to uh, the 486, Minimig, Vectrix, and a bunch of other cores. So please check out Lou's video and this post if you want all of the details. Uh, sorry for my two little aside rants there, but uh, I just it's information that I wanted to share or get off my chest or whatever. And hopefully everybody knows I, I mean these things in a really positive way. I just, I, I love the Mr. Project and I want to see it grow and I want to see it hit as many people as possible. And there's so many people out there that are intimidated by the little bits of it. And, uh, you know, content creators are trying our best to to make that easier for people. And I heard a rumor there's a pretty big Mr. Video coming out soon, Mr. Focus video that we all might enjoy. So let's all keep our eyes open for that too. A while back, Jonathan from Scanline City announced that they'll be the official distributors for the new versions of the Mass Arcade Sticks. And now there's a bunch more info, an announcement video, and some good news about that. So a very short bit of history 
in the 90s, and I guess even in the late 80s, the at-home arcade sticks were generally terrible. Remember the NES Advantage or some of the Genesis ones that we had? It was really the only way for a kid to feel like they were playing an arcade game, but it just wasn't very good. And then in comes the company Mass, who ended up releasing sticks that really brought the arcade feel home. And they used arcade quality buttons and everything else, so you actually got a pretty good setup at home for once. And then I guess as other companies started to realize that's what people actually wanted, you got a lot of things like, uh, you know, one of my favorite arcade sticks, the uh, the Vulix, where it's, um, you know, it's all metal controller basically built with arcade style, Japanese style buttons. And things have really kind of swung back around where people want the variety. Some people love that style. Other people want the American style. Um, there's different configurations that people might want. So the people behind the mass sticks ended up coming to a, a, a agreement with Jonathan and he's going to be the official reseller. Unfortunately, the people behind that passed away last year uh, and a pretty horrible story for that as well. There was a house fire and everything, but the family behind it still talked to Jonathan and wanted him to carry on in their name. So they will be available soon. This is like the uh, official, official announcement. And uh, there'll be, the prices is going to be between 200 and 500, depending on configuration. There will be options for direct wire or using different kind of controller adapters. I believe Jonathan's talked to a few different people who make the boards to see which ones are going to be included. So if you really want more info on this and you want an overview of what this is or why you might want it, please check out Pat's post as well as Jonathan's video on it. And as soon as they're up for sale, we'll make sure to post and let everybody know. But, you know, I I think this is one of those things where you really want to know why you may or may not want one of these. And uh, it's good that we did kind of like a pre-announcement announcement. I know I usually hate those, an announcement for a pre-orders announcement for a thing that isn't going to ship, but this is way better than that. It's going to actually ship this year, and um, and they're almost there. It's just a matter of figuring out the combinations of things and getting the final details ironed out. So if you're interested, definitely check this video out and Pat's post because it's got all the details you need. This Saturday afternoon, I am going to be doing a whatnot live stream where I assemble a smoke clear Super Famicom case from Retro Gamer Store. I was able to get this prototype. Retro Gamer Store sent me this one for free. I buy my own cases. I'm always transparent about this stuff. I got the freaking receipts to prove it. I love these things. Uh, But this one was sent for free to check out because uh, I'm not sure if people realized that there were two different types of cases, the clear and the smoke. And um, without seeing them in person, you really don't get a sense of w- what you're paying for. It's so easy to see these things and go, oh, that's too expensive. And it might be too expensive for some people, and that's fair. But you get what you pay for, and these things are really awesome and really high quality. So I want to do a stream on whatnot where I assemble the whole thing, uh, assemble it into a Super Famicom, and then do a giveaway. So the only prerequisite is that you're following me on whatnot, which not only is it free, if you're not on the platform yet, if you use that link below, you get $10 off your first purchase. And the giveaway has nothing to do with that. You won't lose like your 10 bucks off if the first thing you get is a free thing. So all you have to do, be following me on whatnot, check out the stream at the end of the stream, whenever it's done assembling and tested, because this is going to be a working Super Famicom. And I'll even send the original beat up yellowed case to just because why not? Um, And anybody who does this will get the full 
completed thing. So you'll be able to get console only, but a working Super Famicom with this gorgeous ass case on it. And I also want to get weird this week. I want to do one of the things that I've been talking about where I open that box right there and we figure out all of the, well not all there's way too many in there but we take a big chunk of adapters and crazy stuff that i haven't used in a long time and or, or maybe at all figure out what they do make sure they still work and auction those off and i'll try to have one or two bigger ticket items in there just to make it worth your while i would like to think that the people that would show up for that past the um, the giveaway would be doing so for all the crazy nerd reasons that people sometimes show up for my streams for but i'll try to put some rare stuff that you might be interested in as well just just to you know make it fun and hopefully somebody will walk away with something that they really wanted for a while but anyway that's it for this time as always thanks to everybody who watches listens plays nicely in the comments and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way possible because it is you who is keeping all of this stuff going the website the podcasts the behind the scenes research and development which is killing me lately but it's totally worth it it's all up or it's all because of you so thank you all so much and i'll see you next week <laughs>